This is the Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast, where life and business intersect. Hosted by Jennifer Glass, CEO of Business Growth Strategies International and BGSI Coaching. We are dedicated to your success. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business. A lot of times we hear people going from rock bottom to stardom. And sometimes that rocket is a little more of a slower train that drives us. Other times it really is an overnight uh, wow. One of the things that we always want to figure out, though, is what exactly is in the person's mind as we look at how we get from point A to point B in that process. And so I have a really incredible guest with me today who's going to share his own story of how he managed to find those tools, strategies, and focus to get to where he is right now. But before I bring him on, let me tell you a little bit about him. After being hit by a drunk driver and getting arrested, Sean Hart has brought himself from the deepest parts of depression at a young age to learning how to master his mind, focusing on controlling his financial future, where he is now retired by the age of 31. Sean, wow, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. So, Sean, first of all, going from depression, going from being hit by a drunk driver, going from being arrested to being financially in control by the age of 31 is pretty impressive to begin with. Tell me more about, though, the early parts in terms of how you got past the depression, the uh, being hit by a drunk driver and the being arrested part so that we get to really understand who Sean was. Uh, I mean, to get past it, it's, it's never easy. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a mind game through and through. Uh, you're constantly feeling worthless. You feel, you know, undeserving. Uh, you know, you really start to feel like nothing really matters. Uh, to, to find the way out is... It's a lot of work internally. You have to have that those conversations with yourself and really be able to build yourself up and you know take those baby steps that everybody talks about and understand that you know there's a lot more to life than you know sports, which in my case is is what I lost out on. Um, you know, to understand that there's other things in life other than what you're currently going through that are bigger and more important. And you need to find those things and really hold on to them and grasp to them as you climb out. Absolutely. And like you said, it's important to remember how we can climb out of whatever it is that we were stuck there. Uh, So let me just go back a little bit to the other part of the question. That was the, being hit by the drunk driver and the being arrested. So the sports you lost because of being hit by the drunk driver. But 
walk me through if you're willing to discuss that how did we get from playing sports to being arrested yeah <laughs> so the the playing sports i've done my whole life so it's just you know that came kind of natural uh after the car accident it was uh, a situation of you know they told me i may never walk again they pronounced me dead on arrival when they showed up i don't remember anything from the car accident so everything that i know has been told for me by the doctors my family the firefighters that showed up on scene uh, you know they brought me to the hospital i actually woke up to a staple in my ankle uh, and grown men holding me down because I tried to get up and leave. Uh, so to go from that point to arrested was really, it was the right path at that time. Uh, you know, when, when I started to get into that depressive state immediately after, you know, the doctor said, you may never walk again. And, you know, I looked him dead in the face and I said, I got a game next Friday. You know, I'll, I'll be up. Um, so it was really just, that was the direction my life was headed when they when they refused to let me play uh, football. They didn't want me to wrestle that year. You know, they didn't want me to do any sports going forward because they were afraid that I would either re-injure it or aggravate a nerve. So it was really just the course and the path of my life and going to the point that I just didn't care anymore. So you hit rock bottom at that point in terms of, not caring, not wanting to do things because sports was an integral part of your life and you were told, no, you can't do it and what have you. Yep. When you were, this was in your teenage years, right? Yeah, I was 17. So when you were 17, this happened to you and you're going through all of these issues in addition to normal teenage angst that we're all dealing with. I mean, there's, am I going to be liked by other people? Does she like me? Does he like me? All of these other things are happening. And now you have this even bigger thing, like part of your identity was stolen away from you. And so you ended up rebelling. You ended up doing a couple of bozo things, got in trouble and you had to pay the price um, for doing it. But when you were going through that process, what was your end game? I mean, was there an end game or were you just, this is the moment and I'm going to take the moment? Uh, realistically, it was in the moment, you know, opportunity. So when I first got arrested, it was for my senior prank. You know, it was funny that I know I was going to get arrested. Not really, but, you know, there's always a possibility. Uh, you know, it was just life. Like I said, it really didn't matter at that point, so I just kind of went with the flow of things. I wasn't hanging around the right people. Uh, you know, I wasn't doing the right things. I was missing a lot of school. So it was just one thing after another leading down the wrong path. And, you know, ultimately, I got what I deserved. Just as a point of curiosity, what was the senior prank? So me and my buddy actually took all the license plates off all the cars in the parking lot and we threw them in a giant pile and it took them about six hours to sort out. It's definitely an interesting senior prank. Oh, um, yeah. In the state of Florida, the state owns the license plate. So it's actually a felony per license plate, minimum three years. 
you know, they they were very understanding that it was a senior prank and they ended up dropping it down to a misdemeanor for disturbing the peace. And thank God for small favors. Yeah. 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 One thing, just completely anecdotally on a side note, um, one of the things that I recently learned in a trip that my son and I took this um, this summer up to Boston, and I think you may get a laugh out of the senior prank that Harvard back in the, I believe it was 1920s or 1930s, did. Um, there's a fish in the Massachusetts State House, in the uh, House of Representatives part of the State House that um, they stole and they were not, you know, nobody knew exactly who did it, but it was the seniors doing it. And the president of Harvard told them that if he, you know, if they didn't return the fish, that they were going to cancel commencement that year. Um, So eventually the fish mysteriously wound up back in uh, the hands of the Massachusetts State House. Needless to say, when they rehung the fish, it was hung significantly higher so that nobody else would be able to do it again. But the license plate thing, that's an entirely different thing. You know, I mean, I think anyone would still be able to do that. Just remember, we're not telling you to do it. We're not saying it's okay. It may very well be illegal to do it. And so if you are going to do something stupid, think twice. Uh, (laughs) Putting that aside. And that little legal disclaimer that we just had to throw in there. So you go through all of these things as you're growing up. And from the time you were 17 to 31, you had 14 years to really figure out what's going on in your life. What is changing? What is the direction that you want to go on? Tell me, Sean, if you can, what was the decision and the low point, other than being arrested, I mean, that may be a, the low point. What was it, though, that made you say, all right, this is it, and I got to go on a different trajectory? So the actual low point was the second time I got arrested. Uh, I had made the conscious decision to move from Florida back up to upstate New York, where you know I had a little bit of family up there. My dad and my sister were up there. And driving 116 and a 55 texting and driving on a suspended license you know that'll that'll get you arrested but i had started that transition point where i had said you know i i need to get out of here i need to go somewhere where the mentality is work first and not work when you can and florida has a lot of that mentality it's a great place to live hands down don't get me wrong i love it there got a lot of friends and family there but i need that i needed that environment at that time where the mentality was work so I had started that transition, but when I had gotten arrested the second time, that was really, you know, sitting in a jail cell, just that's when it clicked, like, you need to get this together. Like, this is now the second time you've been arrested in, you know, four to three years. And, you know, it's it's time to grow up a little bit. So once you decided to make that move up to upstate New York again, you went through figuring out, okay, so work first, not work when you can. It was giving you a little bit more of an idea in terms of at least a work ethic, but what made you go from work first to financially independent? 
it was definitely, you know, the real estate and building up to it. Uh, when I moved back to New York, I started working at a uh, convenience store and I was doing second shift and third shift six days a week. It was about 96 hours a week. That was kind of the turning point of, you know, let's pay off some of the debt that I racked up. And then I really, my wife wanted to buy a house and, you know, I said, I don't really want a mortgage payment. So we ended up settling on a duplex uh, after her mother told her it was a good idea, because when I say it, it's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, so, uh, we bought the duplex and that was really where the transition took place. We bought that first property and immediately that was it for me. Like the hook was set. So when you were going through trying to figure out the real estate, what did you do that helped you other than the duplex figure out how to actually maneuver and navigate the real estate market. And I ask because you can win big or you can lose even bigger in the real estate market. So what did you do that really got you to the point? Like, who did you start following? What did you learn? Where did you go for all that information so that you now had that idea this is something i can really do the very first person that i really i don't want to say latched to but understood and really helped me develop what i know today in real estate was actually grant cardone in his early days uh you know he had really just come on scene at that point and was starting to build that following and really starting to get pushed on youtube and facebook you know, I, I listened to some of his stuff and, you know, obviously I'm 22, 23 years old. You know, I don't have a million dollars to go put into this huge multifamily complex. It's just not realistic for me. And I don't have the family members to just hand me all this money to be able to do it, you know. And so that was my my base level learning other than, you know, Google, YouTube, you know, you just kind of pick little things up here and there from those sites and other people you talk to in the community, you find people that own property and, you know, it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody up there. So, you know, you talk to them and kind of get an understanding of where they were at. So that was my, my foundation. So as you were going through the real estate, were you doing more in the uh, fix and flip? Were you doing more the, um, rentals what were you doing that really started you on that path i mean you mentioned the duplex which was you know one side for you the other side a tenant we're assuming so what did you do after that i mean what was your magic sauce if you will so the magic sauce was is actually the barrier to entry or the cost to actually buy properties in upstate new york the housing market is so low there and I, I'm not recommending people buy there because they are very tenant friendly. Uh, but, you know, I didn't know any different at the time. But the the cost of getting in was so low, especially with like a first time home buyer loan that I could get in for six, seven thousand dollars. And I was able to move into the unit and rent the other side. So when we went to the second house, we did the same thing. We went in, we lived in one side, we rented out the front and then rented out the unit that we were living in in the previous house. So we actually did that three separate times before we had enough rental income coming in 
to be able to go out and buy properties without moving into them at all. So these were ready-made houses, you know, not top of the line, but they were sufficient for the area. I did a lot of the work myself when there were repairs that needed to be done until we got to a point where we were able to do a little bit more without moving into these places. So I'm just curious, when you say repairs, I mean, was that like crazy repairs or was it just like there's a hole in the wall, I can take a piece of sheetrock and just patch it? Uh, depending on what you consider major and minor repairs, uh, you know, my family, my dad's been in the plumbing industry for almost 30 years now. So at the time it was a lot of plumbing, you know, these houses were built in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So they're using very, very outdated material, uh, especially with plumbing. So, you know, I'd go in and replace the plumbing. We'd go in. I don't like touching electrical. So the most time we stay away from that. You know, you're talking sheetrock, you're talking brick foundation work, uh, roofs, paint. You know, sometimes it's just simple things and other times it's a lot more complex. But coming from that sort of background, it never really seemed that complex to me. So just that I can make sure that we're hearing the magic sauce was the low barrier in terms of the low price to get yeah. in to buy the property. You I go, see. you buy the property, you move in, you get the next one a little bit more, but still same idea. You do it again. And eventually now you've got free cash coming in that allows you to buy additional properties. So are you still in the rental side or are you in the fix and flip? Are you mixed? How are you doing what you're doing in your real estate portfolio? So now, so we still do own long-term rentals. Absolutely. Um, we do still have a few up in New York. Uh, we do, we're in Georgia now. We moved down here about three years ago. So we actually got introduced. I got my real estate license. My wife has had hers. We got into uh, a brokerage here in Georgia that, they are huge on, there's a thousand ways to make money in real estate. And to me, that spoke to my soul, you know, and that's what I'm all about is finding every and any way possible to not only make money for myself, but to make money for the people that come in with us to just be able to flourish and be able to turn a profit and be able to have a true retirement or whatever they choose to do with the money, really. So you are now financially set, basically, um, short of a major correction, possibly forthcoming. But how do you now put that financial knowledge and the responsibility to not say, well, let's just keep on going? Or do you keep on going and roll the dice like you do in Vegas? I, I want to keep going. You know, I still have that drive, that passion. That's really what truly took me out of that depression was finding this this market of, you know, being able to not only build something incredible for myself, but then in turn to pass that on to people my age and future generations and really be able to to show them how to thrive. Because with today's market and you know, the, the way things have played out just in the last, we'll say, 10 years, realistically, a 401k is not enough to retire anymore. So this is an alternative to really either build upon that 401k 
or in some cases replace it altogether. Are you using any of your retirement funds if you have any for your real estate venture? So all my real estate money comes or all my retirement money comes from our real estate venture. Okay, but you're not using retirement funds to purchase real estate? No. Okay. Uh, I have a girlfriend of mine who that's her entire model. Um, mm -hmm. She and her husband, they go, everything is purchased with retirement funds. So it's a lot easier that way on their side. But again, everyone's got their own way of doing it. So when we look though at having the mindset, and this is where I really want to kind of peel the onion a little bit. If we look at the mindset when you were younger, and again, the developing brain up until 25, we know does a lot of bozo things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when you decided to take the license plates, you were driving 114 in a 50 zone, you know, all those kinds of things that you are doing. But when you are now with a family, things are much different in terms of the process. How do you get there to say, I can do this now instead of saying, well, I can really, you know, I mean, your mindset back then, 96 hours that you were working on the convenience store, probably earning, you know, eight to $10 an hour when you were doing it to now being, I've got a lot more cash coming in. How do you manage your own financial health knowing that you've got where you were to where you are? Because a lot of people, they won the lottery as an example. Most lottery winners end up broke in a couple of years. So how do you do that? I feel like one of the, the big benefits to starting out in the rentals is that it's incremental growth. So it's, it's a little bit at a time. And, you know, it's not it's not like winning the lottery. The lottery, you're going to get just millions of dollars dumped in your lab, right? With the real estate, when you buy that next property, it might only be $200 a month. So it, in, ca in free cash flow after expenses. So it's not a real incremental, like this huge gap of, oh, I've got an extra $2,000 a month. So it really helps you budget along the way. And when I, so like with the family aspect, so I've never stopped working. You know, I, I work 80, 90 hours a week to this day, but now I'm doing it because it's my passion and not because I'm trying to get to somewhere. So when I look at work and, you know, my, my wife is just a godsend because she is on board, a hundred percent supportive. You know, she's always there. She takes on the kids a lot of the times and, you know, and especially when she needs help, you know, there's times when I'm not there to help her and she just pushes through. So, you know, all, all the respect in the world to my wife, I love her to death. Um, and to be able to, it's not that much of a change in lifestyle for me because I'm a very simple person. Like working is my passion. You know, real estate is my passion. So for me, I don't go out and spend tons of money. I, you know, I have a decent truck, but, you know, I don't have a multi-million dollar home. I'm not interested in that stuff. So for me, it's just keeping it simple, you know, understanding that you need to live within your means and just continuing to grow, not just in business, but personally. So 
let me ask you, Mr. Monopoly, because I got a, your real estate tycoon, why not? Um, <laughs> and no trademark infringement, please, uh, Parker Brothers. But if we're looking at somebody who is looking at getting started, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who's listening right now and they can relate to your story. They maybe did bozo things as kids. And for a while I served on the juvenile conference committee here in New Jersey, um, which is a, by statute, it is um, part of the judiciary here in New Jersey to help the kids that do stupid things, misdemeanors, low level felonies, avoid being adjudicated again. So I know a lot of these kids that did similar things like what you did. But if one of those kids might be listening right now and they're listening to your story, what do they need to know to say, this is something you should look at. And again, we're not asking you to give guarantees because it's impossible. Um, yeah. Nobody can guarantee real estate is going to appreciate as much as it has over the last you know, several decades. But how do you give counsel or guidance to someone who may want to tiptoe in before dipping in the deep end or jumping in the deep end? I would say the biggest thing, the most helpful thing that any any younger person that's really trying to figure it out and change their life, you need to find a mentor, you know, someone that is willing to take you under their wing and kind of teach you what they know and really give you something, a goal, a goal to drive for. Because when you have goals, it can completely change the direction of your life. So I would say definitely a mentor first and major goals second. Thank you. So when we're looking at the goals, what should some of those goals actually be? So for myself, when I first started in real estate, one of my goals was to hit a million dollar network. That was the big thing. You know, I, that's what I wanted. Uh, you know, some of my smaller goals were just to put in the extra hours, you know, studying the real estate or, you know, even going to work an extra day just to make a little bit extra money, just kind of teeter myself to that next property a little bit sooner. Uh, but that, that million dollar net worth was always, you know, the big goal when I first started. And I mean, you know, come, come to find out a million, don't get me wrong. Like it's fantastic to hit a million dollar net worth. When you get there, you realize you still really don't have any money <laughs> because all your money's being reinvested. It's a, you know, so now like one of my goals now is I want to get to that $50 million net worth. So I'm curious to know when we're talking about that million dollars and that's a number that you hear all the time. I want to get a million dollars. That's the magic number. And I mean, you talk to so many different entrepreneurs and it's the same number. It's $1 million. What was that allure to you that was $1 million? I mean, we can certainly do the Austin Powers $1 million. Um, but and if you aren't watching this on video, just imagine me holding my pinky up to my lip and saying that, but yes. Um, thank you, Mike Myers. But how would we, I mean, what was the magic about the 1 million and the 50 million now that you're talking about? 
So I think it's uh, a lot of it has to do with a common misconception, right? So when people think of a millionaire, right, they they automatically assume you have a million dollars in the bank. No, no, you do not. You have a net worth of a million dollars. So in my case, I don't have a million dollars just sitting around kicking, you know, in a bucket somewhere. The reality is I have over a million dollars in properties and assets, things that make me money. I don't make a million dollars. I will, but not currently. So that's one of those things where I said, you know, I want to get to that 50 million in net worth because that should return me somewhere between eight and nine million a year in actual income coming back to me. So that was kind of the allure was I didn't realize that either at the time. It was like, oh, I'm going to have a million dollars. And then, you know, you do some research and realize it's a net worth. And when you really, in my case, when I hit it, I was like, okay, so let's go on to the next goal because I still feel like I haven't accomplished anything near where I thought I was going to accomplish by this time. And thank you for that explanation, because I think a lot of people that are listening are really going to get a lot of value from that point specifically. Obviously, we're trying to figure out exactly how we can do it, where we can do it, and um, understanding that it's not like you said, you actually have a million dollars sitting there in the bank. Um, and one thing just as an aside, one of the other things you really want to think about, and I want to take a little educational moment um, right here. When you say you want to make a million dollars, you have to also base that million dollars on what you're valuing each hour at, because too many of us are valuing our hours way too low. We hear the whole, I mean, several years ago, there was a whole push, the $15 minimum wage. And without getting into the whole argument of minimum wage not being designed for adults, um, talking about minimum wage, it is the kind of mindset that we're taught in school that you go, you get a job and you work for whatever your salary is and you're going to get the A, B, C, and D and you're going to whatever. But if you really want to make a million dollars, you have to value your hour at $521 or more per hour. And I say that, it, and we're going to walk through the math really quickly here. You work eight hours a day, five days a week, 48 weeks a year. If you work at $521 an hour, it's going to give you a little over a million dollars for the year. That doesn't mean every single thing you do has to be coming in at $521 or more per hour. But understand that you can't be going out for things that are valued at $5 an hour if you want to be at that million dollars. So you really want to be thinking, how do you do that? How do you get there? And how do you grow? And start thinking more strategically in the millionaire mindset, how much time is this going to take? Instead of, is this going to cost me $10 to do? Because there's a very big difference in terms of the way that you operate when you can see it that way. And I actually, when I do speaking engagements and places make me put down cost is free, I say, no way, no how will I do a speaking engagement if you're putting down cost is free. I just won't do it. You say cost is two hours. Absolutely, I will do it. But I will never do it cost is free. 
now that I'm off my soapbox. So we have this idea now of the 50 million that's going to be producing eight, $9 million in annualized returns for you. That's actual cash that you can kind of be looking at. If you're looking at fulfilling that goal, is there anything specific in the real estate side that you are looking at now to say, this is that magic thing that can really take me from a million dollars net worth to 50 times that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So currently, you know, we have our long-term rentals and, you know, we're doing some fix and flips. We're actually working on one now. We're buying another one here in the next week. You know, so that definitely helps. It kind of adds that value, but those are just instant cash pops with the fix and flips. You know, they're not a long-term solution. So what we're actually doing is we're buying land here in Georgia and we are buying it for anywhere from, you know, $3,000 to $15,000. And then we're turning around and we're selling that to somebody else and we are becoming the bank. So we're going to hold that note for them. They're going to put roughly five to $7,000 down. And then we're going to hold on to that property and they're going to pay us every single month for the next 10 to 15 years for that property. So now we are the bank and that's just adds to the, the rental side where it's a long-term play and a little bit of a cash flow every month to really continue to build up what we currently have. But it also allows us to really bring people in and help them understand like, you don't have to deal with tenants in this situation. It's a raw piece of land. You are selling it to somebody else, but you are the bank. So you own the property. You still have an interest in the property. So if they don't pay you, you take the property back and then you can do it all over again for another 10 or 15 years. And it really, when you stack those, especially with such a low entry cost of that five to 15,000, this is a great play. For people, you know, especially in the middle class, they got a couple grand. They want to do investments, but they can't afford thirty, forty thousand dollars down to go get into the rental game. They can't afford, you know, to pay cash for these properties like these big companies. But you can get five to fifteen thousand together, and you buy a little piece of land, and you get that cash flow, and that down payment will either give you all your money back or give you a good portion of of your money back to be able to have a cash flow and then do it again. Just as a side thing, and I know this wasn't the original intent of the show, but I'm going to do this while we're still talking on the show. Um, would you consider investing outside of Georgia, say in California? No. So the reason I do Georgia is one, because I'm licensed in Georgia. Okay. And mm -hmm. the property values in Georgia are going up exponentially, especially along the I-85 corridor. I know Georgia. I don't know California. I don't go into markets that I don't know. And I don't go into markets that are heavily in favor of tenants, for lack of better terms, on the land side. Okay. When you're looking at the next, say, three years, and there's so many variables that go into that, but if you're looking at the next three years, where do you see <clears throat> yourself being? In the next three years? Well, my goal in the next five is to get to that 50 million. So I figure I'll be somewhere around 30. <laughs> we around 30 million in that worth. Um, realistically, 
I see myself buying a lot in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I see myself continuing to buy a ton here in Georgia, uh, especially the land. You know, land is hard to come by in Florida and it's very expensive. But here in Georgia, there's a lot of areas that you can still buy it very cheap and, you know, get that return because the it all that growth is coming up and you can really capitalize off of that. So, I mean, I see myself not living in a mansion because I have no interests, you know, um, at some point I will get a private jet, you know, that's something that I've always wanted, but I see myself not only personally like things for me, but I see myself helping thousands of people, you know, that is always at the end of the day, if you don't give back, then it's meaningless. Going to the top by yourself is pointless. The goal is always to bring people up with you. And I am huge, huge. Like, this is my number one thing. I will give you a hand up any day of the week. I will never give a hand out. Absolutely. And thank you. So one other question as we're talking about the next three years and being in the position you are saying you're successful at this point, but what does success mean to you? Honestly, I still don't, I still don't consider myself successful. I've got so many bigger goals, so many more heights, so much more room to grow that I don't, I don't know if I could even say that I'm, I'm successful or a success story. I'm just, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just a country boy and, you know, I'm just trying to, to make my way and help others and, and bring them up along the way with me and do the best that I can. So, I mean, as far as a success, we'll do another podcast in five years when I hit that 50 million. <laughs> Sounds good. Let me ask you, I'm just wondering, I mean, if you were to quantify what the idea would mean for you, is the idea the 50 million? Is the idea that you've helped the thousands of others? I mean, what is that idea that now you're successful? The idea is to create financial freedom, not only for myself, but for others, to, to get your time back. Because the time is the one thing that everybody is limited to. You never know when when your time is going to be called. So to be able to have that and, and truly live a life, not just go to work, come home, spend two, three hours with your family, and go to bed and do it all over again. Like There's just too many people going to work and they're just breaking their backs, just trying to provide for their family. It's just not right. It just doesn't sit well with me. Like We work so hard in this country. You deserve to go on those vacations. You deserve to have the new cars and not have to lose sleep over it. Right. And I mean, that's exactly the point. It is, you know, how do I do more? How can I get more Um, and go from there? So let me let me ask you, Sean. People have been listening to this conversation. They're really interested. They want maybe to be getting into real estate on their own. How would they be able to reach out to you to connect with you? So they can reach out to me to my email. It's my first name, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at R-A-N-D, Realty. So it's two Ds, A-N-D-D.com. 
or on TikTok, which is Sean Hart 230. I haven't done a lot of videos lately, but I'm getting back into it. That's one of my goals this year before the end of the year is to really start ramping up those videos again because I think they're very helpful. And honestly, it gives people direct contact to be able to, uh, you know, work with me, me work with them and really be able to help them along the way. Thank you. And as you're going through the process, keep in mind also where you really need to be so that you know you've got a couple of realistic ideas and a couple of other grander ideas in terms of what you can be doing. Like Sean was saying, the $1 million in uh, net worth right now is not $1 million in cash flow right now. It is $1 million net worth. And eventually when he's got the 50 million in five years, there's going to be a much different conversation. So Sean, once again, thank you so much for being my guest today. I Absolutely. think your listeners got a lot of value and thank you. So in wrapping it up, we really need to remember, like I said, know where your starting point is, know where you're trying to go. Too often we do get bogged down with the ideas of, Oh, look, the Joneses are doing this, the Schwartzes are doing that, and the Jameses are doing something else. Not everyone is dealing with the same set of basics. Everyone starts at a certain place. You heard Sean talk about him getting injured. You heard him talk about being arrested. You heard about his story moving up to upstate New York and how that resulted in him working 96 hours to get some sort of livable wage but it wasn't at the point where sean thought it made sense yet and what made him realize he needed to do something different if you can really figure out what is it that i want what is it that is going to be successful for me and how do i gauge success what does that mean and I talk about this in my keynote to success equate to happiness, but how does that all impact where we are and what we're going to be doing? If you really can figure out what you're doing and you have, as Sean said, a good mentor that is going to help you in that process, you're going to be going down that path and definitely reach out to Sean, follow Sean on TikTok and social so that you can figure out more. How do I do this? How do I do that? And see if there's a nugget that Sean would share to really figure out what else even more than what you've heard in this podcast you can use to really be helping you in your business. On that note, this has been another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life in business. And until next time, here's to your success. This has been another episode of Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review, liking us, or reaching out to us. You can contact us at bgsicoaching.com and let us know what you think. Thanks so much again for listening.